Okay, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to the book of John. We're going to be in John chapter 1, the last Sunday in John chapter 1. And as you go there, um, I wanted to mention another place in Scripture. Jesus told a parable once about a treasure. Maybe you're familiar with it. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, the parables aren't necessarily historical accounts of something that actually happened, but they come alongside a greater reality and point to it. But there's a hypothetical question that I've wondered about this man who found the treasure in the field. If you keep the the story going a little bit, is it's this. Is it more valuable for this man to have the treasure remain hidden in the field? Or more valuable if he, after buying that field, digs up the treasure and knows even more depth of what he has found? What do you think? My guess, looking at us now, is that we each have something in our lives that we have held valuable, a treasure. Or maybe it's even a relationship with someone. And I suspect that it became more valuable to us the better we knew what it was. But every one of us senses that that thing that we treasure that thing that we value, it, it never can quite hit past that ceiling. It never can quite satisfy. Why is that? Well, because that treasure is in, is in itself its own parable. It's to point to something greater. Sometimes when we hear the kingdom of heaven is like treasure, our minds tend to wander to the thoughts of material treasure, like gold, diamonds, jewels. And we, tend, and we can have the tendency to stay there. And then we're dissatisfied because the thought of gold, diamonds, and jewels, it's actually not to stay at gold, diamonds, and jewels. It's meant to point us back to the greater value of the kingdom of heaven. That's just in this parable. And the kingdom of heaven that Jesus was talking about there is actually centered around its king, the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the question for us today as we open up John. When it comes to Jesus, do you know him as that great treasure? And do you know that believing him leads to knowing him as the greater treasure? Finishing the first chapter of John today, and Jesus is gathering more disciples to himself. And it seems that that throughout the book of John, people have all sorts of impressions of who Jesus is. Some true, some definitely false. But for those who believe him and follow him, the clarity and value of who Jesus is becomes more and more extraordinary. And in today's text, we're given glimpses of Jesus that will hopefully... My prayer is, and I think it's God's intent, that will refresh us as his disciples. That we have a chance to meet someone truly greater. So if you're there, if would you please stand in the honor of the word of God this morning as we read in John chapter 1, 
beginning in verse 43. John chapter 1, verse 43. It's the word of God. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And have a seat. Believing Jesus is discovering an ever greater Jesus. Let's unpack this, this text this morning. First, following Jesus is finding the one who found you. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. I didn't emphasize it, but did you hear the main verb, the most repeated verb in those verses? found. Following Jesus is finding the one who found you. You know, we discovered this last week, but that believing Jesus is being a disciple of Jesus, it is following him. And last week, Jesus invited two disciples to come and see and be with him. And here, in verse 43 and verse 44, Jesus begins a strategic move in his ministry. And he starts moving to an unimportant place with unimportant people. Now this may seem odd, because we, most of us, I would think, have read the book, and we've heard stories of Jesus, and I think we can often read very quickly through something like this and say, yeah, 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 Jesus went to Galilee. As if it's the most natural thing in the world for him to go to Galilee. Well, it is, but from someone looking on the outside especially someone in the first century, this would seem very, very backwards for the Christ, for the Messiah, the Savior of Israel. Why would the most significant person in the world go to the most insignificant of places, Galilee? It was just a few towns with a decent fishing business around the Sea of Galilee. And even though there was business there, it wasn't like King David had ever set up his palace at that sea. Solomon didn't build the temple there. For the Jews, Galilee was, (laughs) well, it was like Thayer or Arborville or Lushton, maybe even McCool Junction or maybe even York to some people. 
no offense to any of those towns, but <laughs> but if you think of the big names of the world, you usually don't imagine them in small towns. The Caesars didn't call Galilee the capital of the empire either. So this wasn't just a Jewish outlook. This was a whole world outlook. But here, in an insignificant place, Jesus shows up. He decides to go there to a region connected to a highway called the Way of the Sea. But this is the most natural thing for Jesus. You know why? Because this has been God's pattern and plan the whole way. He finds the insignificant and he brings them to himself. And he ascribes their value, their worth. In fact, he did this with the entire nation of Israel who thought that Galilee was just a backwards place and not the place where the Savior would go. He did this for the nation of Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 through 8, he says, It was not because you, that is the nation of Israel, were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God finds because he loves. And God finds because he keeps his promises. Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Do you remember our time in Isaiah 9 during Advent last year? where we studied Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In Isaiah 9, chapter, in Isaiah 9, chapter 9, verse 1, do you remember where God was making glorious something, some place, with the arrival of Jesus? Let's listen to this first verse of Isaiah 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And it's right here in John chapter 1, verse 43. And the promise-keeping Son of God finds an insignificant Philip and an unknown guy who's from the same town as Andrew and Peter. And he says... Follow me. So here's a question for you. Has Jesus called you to follow him? You may not be the sharpest crayon in the box, but has he called you to follow him? In the words of Hebrews, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you have heard him say, follow me, then this treasure is to be told to others. I mean, look at the example of Philip here. Jesus, this Jesus as a treasure is more than sufficient for you and for others. He's the Savior of the world. And so Philip, as a follower of Jesus, follows Jesus' example. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. When you find the one who found you, follow his example. Look at what Philip says to Nathaniel. Jesus tells Philip, follow me, and he doesn't say anything else. Because the Son of God commands, and it's done. 
He doesn't need to provide a reason. He says, follow me, and Philip follows him. But Philip, though he's following Jesus' example, he's not Jesus. So he says to Nathanael, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And this clues us in to the nature and identity of this treasure, of who, who Philip has found, who we can find, the one who finds us. He is the fulfillment of this book. Now, Philip and Nathaniel had the Old Testament as their scriptures. And Jesus is all, or Jesus is, a, is what those books are all about. From Genesis 1-1 through Malachi 4, verses 5 through 6. <laughs> and I even those, those two verses... Those two references are about Jesus. Genesis talks about God who created the heavens and the earth. And we read in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus was in the beginning. Jesus, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth. And we go all the way to the other end, Malachi 4, verses 5 through 6. And it talks about Elijah, whom God would send before the great day of the Lord. And Jesus said that John the Baptist, who we read about earlier in this chapter in John, was Elijah who is to come. And did prepare the hearts of their fathers to their children and the children, hearts of the children to their fathers in order that people would be saved from destruction when Jesus showed up. Part of this treasure is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the laws, all the promises, all the wisdom of the Old Testament for Israel and for the world. But Philip is also not, is not God. He doesn't get everything. And that should be a comfort to us because he says... We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip has truly found Jesus, yes. But did you notice that he doesn't quite understand his identity? Yes, the scriptures talked about Jesus. Jesus wasn't born in Nazareth, but grew up there. And for us reading us on the outside looking in, who, who know. We know that Joseph wasn't Jesus' biological father. The angel told Mary that Jesus would be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph was told to raise Jesus as his own. Here, he says it in faith. This Jesus, the son of, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, he's the guy that the Old Testament was talking about. The only other times that the son of Joseph, that phrase is mentioned in, in the New Testament, is by those who want nothing to do with Jesus, who take offense at him. But God is gracious to Philip, because following the one who found you does not require you to know absolutely everything about Jesus right at the start. As John writes at the end of, the, end of this book, as we've talked before, is he writes it that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that is, him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, the Son of God, and that by believing you may believe and may have life in his name. 
Philip will understand the Son of God part in time. <laughs> so, so how does Nathaniel respond to this amazing news? Jesus is of Nazareth. There's a guy we've been waiting for. Nathaniel? Leads us to our second point. The best argument for Jesus is Jesus because Nathaniel responds, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's like, are you kidding, Philip? Do you know that town? You know, in one sense, we have to, we have to be thankful that Nathaniel was reading his Bible. This is really interesting. Nazareth is never mentioned in the Old Testament. And the Messiah, that is him in, of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, was to be born in Bethlehem of Judea, not Nazareth of Galilee. So he was reading his Bible, but he has a bad taste in his mouth of the neighboring town. I don't know, maybe their football teams didn't get along. What good could come from Nazareth? Maybe you were like that, and maybe you know somebody like that. You try to introduce them to Jesus. Say, this, this guy really changed my life. This guy is really real. And they say, what good can come from the Bible? What good can come from Nazareth? And we can approach that response in a couple ways. We are blessed. We really are blessed to have almost a, yeah, a universe full of evidence for the existence of God. And we have an immense paper trail, better documentation than any other historical book that supports the Bible being the inerrant and authoritative book that it is. And we have resources and people to help us understand, and it's well worth it to understand how the God of the Bible is not the God of Islam. And not just one God among many. Philip presented his testimony. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He assumed Nathaniel knew his scripture so that he would know who Philip was talking about, but he can remain unconvinced that it was Jesus of Nazareth. So at that point, what argument, what apologetic, as we sometimes call it, and what, what does he use, what does Philip use for Nathaniel? Philip said to him, come see. The best argument for Jesus is Jesus. Arguments are not saviors. We do not rest in apologetics alone. The Savior is the Savior. We're to use an, we're to use an argument to get stuff out of the way or to clear a stumbling block for someone to behold Jesus, not to show how great the argument is. Argument was not going to work because Nathaniel was convinced that no, nothing good comes from Nazareth. So Philip said, come and see. Don't take my word for it. Meet him yourself. What does that mean for us today? I mean, Jesus isn't physically walking around York, Nebraska. We can't say to people, yeah, if you come to 701 North Platte Avenue, Jesus will shake your hands after the service on Sunday morning. What do, we, what do we do? 
I've needed to be reminded of this, of this, and I hope you can be reminded of this too. But there is something fundamentally different about Jesus and the rest of the world. The person of Jesus. The spirit of Jesus. Jesus has died. He has risen. He has ascended back into heaven, just as the scripture says. And this same scripture says that he has sent his Holy Spirit to live in each person who believes in him. And it's the same Holy Spirit who indwells us when we believe in Jesus, who is the one who inspired this book to be written that we call the Bible. And we have got to remember, I've got to remember, that he has given to us his Holy Spirit and that this, it's not a magical book, but it's a supernatural book. How do we say, come and see today? We open up this book. We open up this book with someone who says nothing good can come from Nazareth. And not only this book by which they can see Jesus and get to know him, but we open up our lives as we have been spending time with Jesus and spending time in the Bible so that the the Nathaniels of our day can see that Maybe nothing good comes from Nazareth, but something good comes from heaven and transforms lowly villagers like us. So Nathaniel goes and sees. And as he's coming up to Jesus, Jesus said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. This is great. Nathaniel wasn't obstinate. He was just looking for the real deal and had heard enough shams claiming to be the Messiah. And the reason we know this is because at least he's willing to come to see. And Jesus, seeing him, sees right through him and tells him his heart. Which is amazing. Listen to what what he says. An Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Psalm 32, verse 2 said, blessed is, says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And Jesus said during his earthly ministry, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Nathaniel is about to find and see this treasure that is going to knock his sandals off. How do you know me? Nathaniel responds. He's never met Jesus before. Jesus has never met him, so he thinks. Jesus doesn't see just his heart. Jesus sees the outside. He sees the circumstances of his life. Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, there's tons and tons of debate about what it means to be from Nathaniel to be under the fig tree, but this much is clear. Whatever being under the fig tree means, literally or figuratively, Nathaniel knows exactly what Jesus is talking about. 
And he knows that only God could know what had gone on there. Again, the best argument for Jesus is Jesus. Nathaniel sees that Jesus sees his heart. Nathaniel sees that Jesus sees his life. Man, we should have this kind of response. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. The way is made totally clear by Jesus. You know, there's a, we have a world full of smooth talkers. And a new guru and a new subject matter expert get, comes up every single day. And there are lots of people, even Christians, who will talk a good game. But the question is, can anyone actually deliver? Can anyone actually deliver what we need most? Jesus walks the talk and talks the walk. He's his own best argument. Let's introduce people to him. Nathaniel confesses belief in who Jesus is. Following Jesus is finding the one who found you. But it doesn't end there. Believing Jesus is discovering an ever greater Jesus. And belief in Jesus leads to a greater future. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened. And the angels of God descend, ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You know, Nathaniel is having a rather ordinary day in the life of a first century Jew, and then he meets God. And he knows he's met God because only God could know and say the things that Jesus has just said. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. Nathaniel has just spoken what lines right up with John chapter 20, verse 31. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Nathaniel believes Jesus. And he not only believes Jesus is the Son of God, he submits to him. What does he say next? You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Look again at what Jesus said about Nathaniel. Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And look here again in verse 49. You are the King of Israel. You put the pieces together. What Nathaniel has just done is acknowledge that Jesus is his Lord. If he's a true Israelite, and he's just said that Jesus is the true king of Israel, Jesus is his king. Is he your king? It's interesting that Jesus calls Nathaniel an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. What it doesn't say is that